Chapter Four of Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Quintus Oakes, A Detective Story by Charles Ross Jackson. Chapter Four The Departure. Next morning, while at breakfast, I received a letter from Mandolin Sturgeon, which was satisfactory to me, and I went down to my office and notified my partner, Hart, that I was about to take a vacation. Fortunately, we had just successfully finished a long legal fight in the courts, and my excuse was a natural one. I then went out and bought a good revolver, such as Oakes had told me to get when we discussed details the night before. He had insisted upon our being armed all alike, and furnished with the same kind of cartridges. We could then exchange weapons in an emergency and still be supplied with ammunition. Having completed my purchase, I went to the club where Oakes was awaiting me. We lunched together, and during the conversation he told me to express my baggage to the mansion that afternoon, and to meet him at the central station at eight o'clock p.m. And be cautious in your movements, he said. Here is your ticket. Wear serviceable clothes and a heavy dark overcoat, such as you had on last night with a black fedora hat. Don't notice me, but enter the same car as I do on the train. I will contrive to be with you before we arrive at our destination. Why all this? I asked. Well, I wish to be able to identify you easily in a crowd. If I know how you are dressed, it might be valuable in several other ways also. We may have to change our plans, in which case it will be easier for me if I know how you look. I don't exactly understand, said I, but I presume you do. Precisely. You may learn in time. As we emerged from the club, a newsboy came up to Oakes, from whom he bought a paper. As he did so, the boy said, "'Martin says you are followed, sir.' Oakes turned to me. "'Meet as I said, and do as I do afterwards in everything. I shall be forced to change my plans.' The boy had gone after another customer, and Oakes continued, "'Martin is my aide. He has posted me. Good-bye. See you later. Explain some other time.' We parted, and I went about my preparations for departure with the exhilaration that men feel when about to enter into some strange undertaking. It was to be a novel experience for me, and I frankly confess that certain misgivings haunted me. That I was entering willingly, to be sure, upon a journey of many possibilities, I did not for one moment doubt. That I should need the weapon already purchased, and the utmost coolness that I could muster, seemed to me more than likely. At this date I felt nothing akin to fear, and the knowledge that Quintus Oakes was to be our leader prevented a too serious estimate of the possible consequences. Later on I did feel some regrets of having hurled myself into the episodes that followed, but this feeling vanished soon in the excitement of the events that transpired at Mona. Shortly before the appointed time I arrived at the station and strolled about the rotunda in search of Oakes. I espied him at the paper stand, dressed in a dark heavy overcoat and a hat like mine. His recognition of me was instantaneous, but he made no movement until, after buying a paper, he walked past me to the door. Looking at me with a glance that warned me, he stepped out and into a car that was approaching. I jumped on the same car, and in a very few moments he and I were going up the Sixth Avenue elevated stairway, but acting as strangers to one another. There were many persons boarding the Harlem train with us. It was a tiresome ride to the terminus, but when Oakes and I stepped out and down the street, he jumped into a carriage in waiting, drawn by a pair of horses, and beckoned to me. I stepped in also, and sat by his side on the back seat. 
The driver started at a quick pace across the bridge and into Jerome Avenue. Oakes turned to me. It seems that my movements are watched by men in a rival agency. I have detected no followers, but time will tell if they exist. I saw a fellow watching me at the station, and we may have easily been followed on the elevated train. In such a crowd one cannot detect. Why do they watch you, Mr. Oakes? Are they suspicious that we are going to Mona? No, not at all, answered Oakes. They are watching to see where I am going. You see, he continued, I am working on several other cases, and perhaps they are too. You realize there are times when men of my profession cross each other's paths, and it is advantageous to know what the other fellow is doing. I see, keeping tab on one another, I said. Rather expensive work, is it not? Oakes smiled. Yes, but it is business. I like to know when a rival leaves town. I keep a pretty close watch myself on some of them. We drove rapidly and soon pulled up at an out-of-the-way roadhouse. Come, said Oakes, alighting. A portly German was behind the bar, evidently the proprietor. Oakes made a sudden movement of his hand, and the door was locked. We two were then shown into a rear room, where two other men were seated, both tall, well-built fellows, and both dressed as we were, in dark overcoats and black fedora hats. They saluted Oakes, and after a word or two stepped into the bar room, where the Germans served them with drinks. In a minute they were in our carriage and driving away towards Yonkers. I see now why you were particular as to my dress. Yes, a substitution like this is useful sometimes. I thought I might be forced to make one, much better than nonsensical disguises. We will soon know if any one is coming after us, he continued. This is really the last place before the fork of the road, and anyone following us would have to be in sight all the time, or else stop here for information. The proprietor motioned us upstairs to a front room, and Oakes said to him, Remember, we have gone to Yonkers. But the good-natured German evidently knew his business, for he only smiled and went off muttering something to himself about a damned good mix-up. In a few minutes two men drew up in a buggy and were admitted below by the obsequious old fellow. Then we heard the question, Have you seen two tall gentlemen in black coats and soft hats hereabouts, Dutchy? The German thought a moment. Yah, yah, dar was two fellows just here. They was took some whiskey and got away quick. Which way? asked the man. They was gone up dar Yonkers road. Oakes chuckled. The old fellow is all right, an old friend of mine. Then we heard the men say, Here, Dutchy, here's something for you, and we knew they had given him a tip. In a moment they were gone, and the old fellow was to be heard chuckling audibly to himself. Five dollar for von great big mix-up. Oakes watched the team turn up the Yonkers road after our decoy, and then he said, Come, Stone, move quickly. He led the way downstairs to the back entrance, and to the stable where he found a man with a team. He saluted us. It was the carriage in which Oakes's men had come out. Drive hard for the Harlem station. We catch the 10.30 train, was the order. Our driver evidently knew what to do, and we soon passed out of the carriageway. At the side of the door we halted a moment, and I saw Oakes give the German a twenty-dollar bill. Remember, he said, not a word. We caught our train after a long drive to the east, and back over the Harlem River. When we seated ourselves in the sleeper, Oakes turned to me quietly. Please remember, Stone, that you are a possible buyer, and that I am Charles Clark, agent for the owner of the Mark Mansion. We have had a pleasant evening together so far, have we not? He smiled in his quiet, unruffled manner as he spoke. Yes, rather active, I said. I presume those other fellows are thinking so too, probably. Only the last two, said Oakes. My men are home by this time. Shortly after midnight we arrived at the station at the foot of the hill which hid the beautiful town of Mona. 
"'Keep your senses alert,' said Oakes, as we left the train, "'for we are now in a region of uncertainty. "'We had better not walk to the hotel, although it is only about a mile. "'The hour is too late.' The solitary hackman, seeing us approach, roused himself from his sleepy lethargy, and soon we were slowly ascending the hill. The well-kept road was lighted here and there by electricity, an agreeable witness to the civilization around us. I saw Oakes place his weapon in his outside overcoat pocket, as he said, the most convenient place for it to rest, clad as he were. The action was a vivid reminder of the experiences of his last visit, and the caution of the man. Without further adventure of any kind, we arrived at the little hotel, with its sleepy night clerk and its gloomy office. This opened right on the sidewalk by means of a large wooden door, hung a low step above the pavement, and fitting so poorly in its frame that the rays of lights from within sought exit beneath it. End of chapter 4